Support for legislative programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and your local office of AARP Utah, a nonpartisan organization helping people 50 and over improve their lives through its advocacy for health care reform, social security, and consumer protection in Utah. Information is at aarp.org ut. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, popularly known as Obamacare, is still controversial in many circles, but it's now the law of the land. So how does it affect you? Utah Health Policy Project, uh, which is a nonprofit organization, has been presenting Healthcare 101 events around Utah to show how the Affordable Care Act is being implemented in Utah. And Utah residents have until March 31st to enroll in new private insurance at healthcare.gov. And in the first half of the program today, we're going to be talking with Jason Stevenson, Education and Communications Director with the Utah Health Policy Project, and Riley Curtis, Medicaid Policy Analyst with UHPP. Later in the program, Representative Rebecca Chavez-Hauk, Democrat from Salt Lake City, and Senator Todd Weiler, Republican from Woods Cross, will join us to talk about uh, how ACA should apply in Utah and whether Utah should expand Medicaid coverage. We're talking about those subjects as well in the first part of the program. And uh, we'd love to get your questions. We're uh, piggybacking on the UHPP's idea. We're doing Healthcare 101 today, and we have some people who can answer your questions, such as how does the insurance marketplace operate? Where should I shop for health insurance? How do I qualify for premium subsidies? Where can I find enrollment assistance? What are the penalties under the ACA? And should Utah expand Medicaid coverage? We bring in now Riley Curtis, Medicaid Policy Analyst with the Utah Health Policy Project. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. Perfect. Thanks for having us on the show today. We appreciate you coming on. Uh, Maybe we could, uh, and I believe we have Jason Stevenson as well. Jason Stevenson, uh, who is Education and Communications Director with UHPP. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Good to be here. Let me start with you, Jason. Uh, Tell us briefly what the Utah Health Policy Project is. Well, we're a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization, uh, homegrown here in Utah, been around about eight years, focusing on all aspects of health care reform and our health care system in our state. You know, our real purpose is to try to expand access and, and help out the underserved in our community, of which there are, you know, hundreds of thousands of people without insurance or who don't have uh, really adequate insurance. So that's our main focus, and we work with hospitals, with doctors, with the Utah legislature, and with some national partners, uh, especially as national health reform comes into a landing here in Utah. Maybe we could have you step back uh, briefly. Um, what is the problem or problems that the Affordable Care Act is attempting to address? And, of course, this is still controversial. Um, the sure, uh, no, the it, Republicans uh, it, it in Congress making, would, st- would still say this is not addressing those problems. But what, what, is, what is the ACA attempting to address? And, and we are still early. And so, you know, the jury is out on exactly how successful the program will be. We have a lot of people working very hard in this state to make it a success. Um, but really, it's tackling one big problem with our health care system, and that is access, especially affordable access to health insurance. Um, there have been a lot of people who have not been able to get insurance because it's been uh, too expensive, or they've tried to get it, and based on their pre-existing health conditions, they've been denied or priced out. You know, uh, An insurance company will say, well, we'll cover you for everything except your health problems, like your bad back or your diabetes, which doesn't do anybody any good. So there have been a lot of changes, a whole game change in terms of how the insurance system is supposed to work to really bring more of these people into insurance coverage, you know, bring down the number of uninsured in our state, which is over 10 percent. It's about 13 percent. So trying to bring that down into the single digits and just keep it dropping. Riley Curtis, um, I, I wonder if there is there anyone that comes to mind as you think about this project, uh, about the problem and, and attempting to, to solve it? It's always... Always good to sort of tell a story. Any anyone come to mind in, in terms of this is a person who is affected by by these issues? Absolutely. You know, here in our office in Salt Lake, we actually do um, enrollment. So we have families coming into our office all the time. We actually have a box of toys here that children can play with as their families are coming in to sign up for health insurance. And for me, being the Medicaid policy analyst, the hardest part is to see families who actually make too little to qualify for uh, uh, premium subsidies on the healthcare.gov website. And they actually don't qualify for Medicaid either because of our current uh, standards that we have. So that's the hardest thing is to have these families come in 
you know, see the children, see who it's affecting, and then have to tell them, I'm sorry, that there's nothing we can do because the state has not expanded coverage to you yet. Uh, so what are these families, what can they do? Honestly, <laughs> you know, there's, we did get an extension of the primary care network, but, you know, that's only open enrollment. Um, it's, it's not, you know, it, it's not always open enrollment. So there's only certain periods of time where people can enroll, and right now it's closed. You know, there's community health centers, um, kind of a charity care thing uh, that's based on sliding scales or sometimes free that families can go to, but it's not a medical home. These people don't have a doctor that they can visit regularly for preventive care, or they're seeking treatment in the emergency rooms. And that's, I guess that's an option, and, and so, you know, some I've talked to people who say that, you know, that's, that's okay, they can go to the emergency room. <laughs> I don't, you know, that's something that we hear a lot, but, you know, our private insurance premiums are, you know, reflect the cost of treating people in the emergency rooms because it's estimated that about 15% of the cost of our premiums are going to pay for uncompensated care. We'll talk about possible Medicaid expansion as we go along. Uh, just parenthetically, I assume you are encouraged by the governor's recent uh, message on this. He, he has taken the do-nothing option on Medicaid expansion off the table. Absolutely. <laughs> we were, you know, we were ecstatic and we support him 100% in closing the coverage gap. So we'll talk about that a little, a little later. Uh, Jason Stevenson, uh, I th- think you've been involved in a lot of these presentations, some 90 plus presentations around the state over the past year, including one very recently here in Logan. Um, what are people concerned about? I, I assume you have a Q&A. Well, that's right. We have been doing a lot of roadshow presentations. We were at the Logan Public Library last night. We had a really good crowd there with a lot of, uh, you know, smart and questions that people were asking. I think there's a lot of confusion about how the Affordable Care Act works. It's a complicated law, but there's also been several years of kind of misinformation and a lot of myths floating around that have people believing things that just aren't there um, about it. So, first of all, a lot of people don't realize that it's private insurance that when you go onto healthcare.gov, you're buying private insurance from Utah private insurance companies. It's not a massive new government program of public insurance. It's private insurance made more affordable uh, through subsidies. And the subsidies are something a lot of people don't realize as well. Um, 82% of Utahns who went and signed up for the Affordable Care Act insurance last year, 2013, got a subsidy. You know, some of them got a couple hundred dollars each month to help chip away at the cost of their health insurance premiums. So those subsidies are available to many, many Utah families. They're based on your income and your family size. Once people see that, they're like, wow, I always thought health insurance was unobtainable for me, but now it's something that I can work into my budget. And I think third, a lot of people think that this is sort of moving towards uh, socialized or sort of a government health care system like Canada or the United Kingdom. And my wife went to medical school in Canada. I've lived in the United Kingdom. I've seen and used both of those health care systems. Um, and Obamacare is nothing like that. Our doctors are still private doctors getting salaries. They're not employed by the government. Obamacare is private insurance that you're going out and buying. Um, there's nothing like uh, a national health care system um, in Obamacare. So once people realize that, you can sort of see the frowns kind of leave their faces, their arms get uncrossed, and they really start to listen because they want to know, well, what is going on? How can this help me? How could this help my neighbors or my family? Here's a question that's been much in the news, and we've seen many, many, many clips from President Obama on the campaign trail uh, as follows. Can I keep my current insurance? Gotcha. Yeah, if you like it, you can keep it. That's the refrain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and is that, is that true? Can I keep my current insurance? Well, you know, most of Americans do get insurance through their employers. Um, and uh, so, that, you know, I think it's something between 70, uh, 60 percent of Americans get insurance from a company that they work for. Uh, and really, the Affordable Care Act doesn't change that kind of insurance very much at all. That insurance is really left alone and, and sort of staying the way it is. But it is, you know, about 15 percent of Americans go out, and actually even less, maybe about 10 percent who go out and buy their insurance on the private market. I used to be a freelance writer. That's what I used to do. I didn't work for any company. I have to you know, buy my own insurance. And there was some concern that people who would go out and buy insurance policies, especially ones that had really high deductibles um, and maybe didn't cover a whole lot of uh, medical care like maternity care or hospitalization, um, that those policies were actually going to be you know, done away with. They're going away because they didn't meet the new quality standards that insurance policies have to have. So some people did lose that coverage that they had. Now, some of it, uh, you know, they really liked. Maybe people really liked those high-deductible policies that didn't cover a whole lot. And, and 
they are kind of in a bad way because they've lost that option to continue that kind of coverage. To be honest, here in Utah, we didn't experience that because the Utah Department of Insurance has allowed Utah insurance companies to really maintain those policies, kind of grandfather them in for the next year. And so people haven't experienced that sort of coverage uh, loss or, you know, losing their, uh, the policies um, here in Utah. It's just been a couple hundred, even less than a hundred, I think, of people, uh, as opposed to in other states where it's been a bigger issue. So here in our state, we haven't experienced that much because uh, the Department of Insurance has allowed those insurance policies to continue. But sometime in 2014, they are going to elapse, and people are going to have to shop for some new insurance, which could still have high deductibles, but maybe instead of a $15,000 deductible, um, it's going to have a $6,000 deductible. So it's going to come down a little bit, uh, and, you know, that's going to be sort of the new norm that uh, high uh, deductible insurance operates under. And so if it's a lower deductible, probably higher premiums? That's true, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have a fifteen dollars or $20,000 deductible that doesn't cover maternity care or hospitalization, you could probably get a pretty cheap policy. Um, the challenge is if you actually need to use those policies, you'll find out that you're paying a lot out of pocket. So it's a pretty risky endeavor to have those really high deductible policies. Uh, the new policies coming in still have a pretty high deductible, you know, $6,000 for an individual or 12000 is the max for a family. Um, you know, certainly, you know, that's buying, an, buying a nice car with your deductible there, um, but it's also going to provide maternity care, hospitalization, prescription drug benefits, a lot of things that we're missing from those other benefits. So, yes, it could have some higher uh, premiums, but then again, it also has the option for the premium subsidies uh, to bring those premiums down each month to make it more affordable. We're talking about uh, the Affordable Care Act as it is being applied in Utah. And there is some variability state to state, as uh, Jason Stevenson just alluded to, uh, including uh, each state will have the opportunity to decide whether to expand uh, Medicaid coverage. That was part of the Affordable Care Act. The Supreme Court upheld the act in most of it, but uh, struck down that provision. So Utah is grappling with that decision. Later in the program, we'll be talking with a couple of members of the legislature. I'll address that question directly to them, uh, Rebecca Chavez-Hauk and uh, Representative Rebecca Chavez-Hauk and Senator Todd Weiler. Right now, we're talking with Jason Stevenson and Riley Curtis from the Utah Health Policy Project. And here's an opportunity to get your um, health care question and enrollment in the ACA uh, questions uh, answered. Uh, If you have a question, we encourage you to get that in right now. We have another 10 minutes or so left with Riley Curtis and Jason Stevenson. And the number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. You can join us by email to upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. If you're comfortable on Facebook, we have a post there on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. You can comment there, and we'll get that uh, question through as well. The number is 1-800-826-1495. So, uh, Riley Curtis, uh, famously, at least in the first couple of months of the rollout of healthcare.gov, there were some glitches, uh, and perhaps if I go in fact, I've got it in front of me today, um... What if I have problems uh, and I still want to, to sign up? Can I get help from UHPP or, or another organization? Yeah, so we actually have an organization here in Utah called Take Care Utah. Their website is takecareutah.org. And if you go on there and you type in your zip code, whether you're in you know Cache County, Davis County, Utah County, it'll find the nearest navigators. Navigators are individuals who can help um, Utahns go on and figure out um, the best way to navigate the system, hence the name navigator, obviously. And um, what they'll do, they'll walk you through the application process. They'll help explain what deductibles are, what premiums are, and get you to the point where you, um, you as a person are understanding what your options are for health insurance. And, you know, they'll, they'll help call healthcare.gov if you have issues, if, you know, there's a glitch, whatever it may be. And, you know, there's lots of resources out there for Utahns. Uh, and there's a March 31st deadline. What is that deadline? If I, if I don't sign up by that deadline, is there a penalty? I'm going to defer to Jason on that one. Okay. <laughs> he can definitely better explain that. Sure. So we're halfway through, a little over halfway through, the first open enrollment period for healthcare.gov for Affordable Care Act insurance. So uh, that uh, enrollment period ends on March 31st. The next enrollment period kicks in uh, probably mid-November 2014. Uh, so back you know, almost 
Thanksgiving of this year. So there's a gap. There's a couple-month gap through the summer and through the early fall uh, where people aren't going to be able to go up and sign up uh, for this insurance. Just because, you know, you concentrate people into an open enrollment period, it kind of encourages people to get it done. And there will be fines if people uh, who can afford this insurance and, and don't have any other kind of coverage don't sign up. Um, and that's, of course, the fines uh, that, that came out of the Supreme Court decision. They're kind of described as a tax now. Um, those fines would be $95 for each adult, $47.50 for each child, up to a, a cap of 285 per family, or 1% of your income um, with the filing threshold taken out of it, whichever is higher. Uh, so if a family makes $50,000, they would actually pay um, a $300 fine, uh, uh, you know, depending on how many kids they have, or, you know, maybe 150 or $200 it was just a, a man and a woman, a husband and wife. Now, those fines, a lot of people think they're going to get hit by those. But if you have employer-based insurance, you're okay. If you buy your own insurance, you're also okay. Um, if you're covered under a university plan, that's great. If you're covered under your parents' insurance, no problem. Um, if you earn under 100% of the poverty limit and you know, would be eligible for Medicaid in Utah, but since uh, we're still deciding that, it's not available, you're not going to be fined. Um, there's also hardship waivers if you... Uh, lose your house or have trouble uh, paying your medical bills, um, you know, you can get a waiver so that you don't need to pay the fine. So uh, it's just going to be a, you know, a small number of people, including my brother-in-law, uh, who decide to pay this fine. And, and a lot of it's going to be a choice that, um, you know, they just decide they don't want this kind of insurance or don't want to insure themselves and their family, and, and they see the fine as the best alternative for them. Although something to keep in mind is paying the fine does not get you uh, health insurance. Mm. Yeah, I was just thinking there there might be some people, uh, I guess, like your brother-in-law, who might make that calculation, and you're, you've addressed that. Uh, what if I'm young and healthy? I, you know, I'd, I'd, odds are I'll probably continue to be young and healthy um, for a while. I don't really see the need to, to sign up for any insurance. Yeah, and, you know, we were up at Utah State University yesterday, and, uh, you know, quite a few young and healthy people. I was quite jealous. Uh, seems these college classes get younger and younger every time I go up there. Well, um, that's the truth. So why would they sign up for any kind of insurance? Well, fortunately, a lot of them were, uh, were actually covered by their parents' insurance, which is one of the innovations that Obamacare has put forward, is that you can stay on your parents' insurance until you're age 26. But there are a lot of young people who don't have that option. Um, and the nice thing is, is that there is a catastrophic a coverage option available on healthcare.gov, specifically for people under age 30. Uh, I call it the Utah Snowboarder Plan. It's coverage that will protect you from sort of a catastrophic accident. The deductible is about $6,350. It does cover preventative care and you know, primary care, like you break your arm or you get the flu, you can go in there and get yourself taken care of without uh, you know, that being applied to the deductible. But if you do hit a tree when you're snowboarding, you end up in the hospital for a couple of days, you know, instead of paying a twenty or thirty or forty thousand dollar hospital bill, you're only going to pay six thousand three hundred and fifty dollars. That's your max. So you're buying a used car as opposed to buying a new Lexus in terms of paying your bill. And and for young people, you know, they they are healthy and and you know they don't really think about those accidents happening. But one thing they do know about is their credit score. They know about how much their financial security matters for their future plans. And if you get hit with a fifty thousand dollar hospital bill and you can't pay it, you're going to have collectors after you, your credit score is going to go into the tank. Um, and if you wanted to get a job or get a car or get married, that could really imperil those choices. So health insurance for young people really is financial insurance. And when we talk to kids uh, on college campuses and community colleges and around town, they nod their heads. They understand that. They know how important their credit score is uh, for their plans. And so health insurance becomes something that helps protect that. And this is a marketplace, right? It's still private insurance that healthcare.gov is, is yeah, just directing you. Yeah, the plans are for sale by those same private insurance companies out there. What's interesting in Utah, though, is actually we have such low insurance premiums in our state because we have such a competitive free market uh, experience here for insurance that many young people can actually get full-fledged coverage like a silver plan or a bronze plan for cheaper than they can actually get catastrophic insurance. So we see many young people in their 20s um, and 30s getting a uh, you know comprehensive insurance for $65, $70 a month, where the cheapest catastrophic plan is $100 a month. So uh, this brings up a, a problem with uh, buying any product or service. Um, you know, there's, there's probably probably be narrowed down of put in my parameters and what I'm looking for. There'll probably still be several companies that I could buy insurance from. How do I navigate that? There's, there's pro the variability in the service I'm going to get, I would imagine. 
Well, sure. I mean, we're this is a using private insurance, so um, you know, companies have good customer service and bad customer service. The the idea is that this is a free market, so the companies with good customer service and good products rise to the top, and those that don't have to kind of remake themselves or go out of business. You know, that's that's the free market, and that's how it's working on the Obamacare website as well. So these private insurance companies are pitching plans for your business. So they're trying to provide the best cost, quality, and access that they can. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people shop for insurance, uh, at least I hope they do, with the same attention they focus on shopping for a flat-screen TV or for a car. And so you can look at reviews on the Utah Department of Insurance website for how good different insurance companies are. You can look at reviews for hospitals or doctors. Um, and so, you know, obviously people do have their own doctors that they like. Uh, and so you can shop for a plan that, uh, you know, your doctor accepts. And, and since Utah has sort of the six biggest insurance companies in the state operating on healthcare.gov, chances are your doctor is going to be on one of those plans, if not several of them. Um, so, you know, you, you do your homework a little bit, just like you would for shopping for a new TV. Um, but healthcare.gov makes it a much easier experience as well, because just like all the cereal boxes are in one spot in the supermarket, which makes it easy to shop for cereal, imagine if they weren't, um, all the insurance plans are in one spot on healthcare.gov, so you can really do an apples-to-apples -apples comparison there based on deductibles, premiums, provider networks, and, you know, your overall cost that you'll pay. Well, that's good to know there are review reviews uh, on uh, Utah Department of Insurance? Department of Health and Department, Department of, of Insurance. Okay. Yeah, Department of Health, uh, both of those websites have that. And, of course, there's a lot of private websites that also review doctors just uh, on the Internet out there. Um, just before I, go, I want to um, end our segment with uh, with Riley Curtis and talk about some Medicaid uh, coverage. We have Rebecca Chavez how coming on here shortly. Uh, what if I'm a small business owner or work for a, a small business? That's a separate deal, isn't it? That's uh, that's Avenue H in Utah. Yeah, that's a different insurance marketplace. Okay. Um, and I wanted to point, can I actually yes. point out to you that, you know, one of Utah's options for Medicaid expansion is to actually expand the private market as well. So I don't know if you've heard, but, you know, Arkansas and Iowa have both done a plan where they actually, instead of ex expanding the traditional Medicaid program, they take those, the federal dollar match that we, um, the states are eligible to get, and they actually buy private insurance for these um, uninsured uh you know, it would be Utahns in our case, and that way they can go on the private market. They get the, um, you know, higher access to doctors. They get, um, you know, they call it less churning, so instead of going in and out of Medicaid, they're actually, you know, stable on a, on a private plan. And so that's an option that Utah's looking at right now. And I just wanted to point that out since you were talking so much about, you know, this being a private expansion. Uh, great. Uh, that's a good segue to talk about uh, Medicaid expansion. The governor is in favor of some sort of expansion. Uh, how many how many Utahns are we talking about that potentially that would be, need to be covered? I'm so glad you asked that. I actually looked up how many um, people can fit into the Romney Stadium. <laughs> and so there are, you know, that can hold about 25,000 people. The number of Utahns who fall into the coverage gap who Governor Herbert wants to cover it, you can fill Romney Stadium about two and a half times full of people, and that's how many Utahns fall into the coverage gap. So about, about 75,000? It's, it? it's about 60,000, 60, so maybe 000. closer to two times. Okay, uh, 60,000. So that's how many we're, we're talking about. These are people um, who can't afford the, the regular coverage under the, in the marketplace with uh, healthcare.gov, but maybe make too much for a regular Medicaid? Yeah, it's not even that they can't, um, you know, they probably couldn't afford it, but they're not even eligible to re receive subsidies. So if these individuals who fall into the coverage gap go on to healthcare.gov, they get told, oh, you, you should qualify for Medicaid, and then they don't even uh, get the subsidy that, you know, anybody above 100% would of uh, the federal poverty level would qualify for. So if you're under 100% of the federal poverty level, which is about $11,500 for a single person, you don't qualify for subsidies on the health insurance marketplace. And then, you know, if you're a single adult, you are, you know, you don't qualify for Medicaid because we have categorical requirements tied to our Medicaid. You know, you have to be a person with a disability, you have to be a child, you have to be, you know, over 65, those types of things. And so, you know, single working adults, a lot of them fall into this coverage gap. 
What are the plans being considered at the legislature, as far as you know? I guess one could we could we could follow Iowa and some other states and use the federal matching money by private insurance. What what else is being considered? Um, you know, the, I, I would say that if Utah did any type of expansion, we would do a private expansion, which is like Iowa and Arkansas, using that federal money for private plans. Um, the biggest difference, I think, between the options we're looking at is whether we go um, from 0% poverty level to 100% or if we go from 0 to 138%. And that, you know, is a whole slew of whether or not we'd get, you know, federal match money if we get more than what we get now, which is about 70% federal money, 30% state money, or would we get, you know, 90% federal money or, um, and then 10% state money. So it's just a difference of the federal match rate on how far up the poverty level we go. So uh, how far would we have to go to cover all 60,000? To cover 60,000, that would be up to 100% of the federal poverty level. Mm-hmm. So that's the 11,500 for a single adult. So tell us again, what, what's, where, where's the 138% come from? Um, the 138% was outlined in the original ACA. That, you know, it's more cost effective for the federal government to have these people from 0 to 138 on Medicaid than it is to provide premium subsidies on the health insurance marketplace. That's where that number comes from. Mm. Uh, we're just about out of time for this segment. J- Jason Stevenson, where can people go to, to get some information? I, I, we had uh, Take Care website. That's, that's one place. That is. I mean, obviously, a, a lot of people can do this on their own, um, sign up for this insurance, check out their options. So you can go to healthcare.gov. That's the website here in Utah. You don't even need to fill in out your personal information. You can go to the Plan Finder tool there and actually look at what options are available, find out if you qualify for a subsidy, see if that makes sense, and then go ahead and, and, and you know do the full sign-up. If you need assistance, though, you run into some troubles, takecareutah.org is the website to go to. It's the, uh, the Find Your Nearest Navigator website. We build it here in Utah. It works really well. People can also call 211. Just dial 211. That's the United Way of Salt Lake's free information line. Um, and they'll connect you to uh, enrollment counselors there who can answer some of your questions and direct you to the nearest uh, application counselor in your area. And Riley, what if uh, what if you've gone to healthcare.org and you've you've been told, well, you, you got to check out uh, the Medicaid? Yeah, so we actually have this story banking effort where I, you know, we collect stories here at Utah Health Policy Project of Utahns who fall into the coverage gap. If that happens to you, I, you know, I'd, I'd love for you to contact our office either through email at mystory at healthpolicyproject.org or you can call our office directly at 801-433-2299. And Utah Health Policy Project is uh, healthpolicyproject.org, I believe is, is the website. Yes. Um, Jason Stevenson, I assume you'll be continuing with uh, more of these uh, Healthcare 101 events? Yes, absolutely. We're heading down to Kane County and Washington County pretty soon. Um, we'll also have a bunch here at the university, including a seminar coming up at the University of Utah uh, with uh, David Clark, former Speaker of the House, and uh, Vice President of uh, Intermountain Healthcare as well. So, um, but uh, plenty of events at local libraries and uh, town halls uh, as well. Well, it's a, it's a great public service. Thank you so much, Jason Stevenson and Riley Curtis with the Utah Health P- uh, Policy Project. Thanks. Thank you. And uh, coming up following a break, we have uh, with us Representative Rebecca Chavez-Hauk, Democrat from Salt Lake City. A little later on the program, Senator Todd Weiler, Republican from Woods Cross. They'll tell us what they think about implementation of Affordable Care Act in Utah and whether Utah should expand Medicaid coverage. You can join this conversation at one 800 or join us uh, at our email at upraxis at gmail.com. More following the break. Support for legislative programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and your local office of AARP Utah, a nonpartisan organization helping people 50 and over improve their lives through its advocacy for health care reform, social security, and consumer protection in Utah. Information is at aarp.org ut. Waste not. Help keep your drinking water safe. Eliminate or protect cross-connections between your water system and a contamination. And have your backflow preventers tested annually. Waste Not is made possible by the Logan City Public Works Water Conservation Department. Information at loganutah.org slash publicworks.
Thanks for listening to Access Utah today. We're uh, talking about health care, specifically the Affordable Care Act, or as it's popularly known, Obamacare, and how it applies to Utah. Uh, it is still controversial. Uh, it's now the law of the land, however, and uh, how will it be implemented in Utah? We've been uh, taking specific questions on uh, how do I sign up. We're going to expand this some more to policy uh, with a couple of members of the Utah legislature now. You can still join the conversation. Hope that you will with your question or comment to 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. Email is upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com, and you can comment on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. We bring in now Representative Rebecca chavez Hauk, Democrat from Salt Lake City. Welcome to the program. Thank you. And uh, Senator Todd Weiler, Republican from Woods Cross. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Uh, let me uh, begin with you, uh, Representative chavez Hauk. Uh, just a general uh, question, um, attitude toward Obamacare, Affordable uh, Care Act, especially as it applies well, to Utah. In terms of the Affordable Care Act, I you know there I know there are some concerns with some of the issues related to the rollout of healthcare.gov, but there are a lot of things that people have been benefiting from over the last year or so um, in terms of when it was implemented regarding issues related to um, preventative care, in terms of uh, coverage uh, for folks that have in the past been denied because of pre-existing conditions, uh, in terms of young people that get to stay on their uh, parents' health insurance, although in Utah we've had that for a number of years, but it's across the nation. Um, many young people have now begun to take advantage of what Utah young adults have been able to, to take advantage of for a number of years in terms of coverage until they're 26. And then also in terms of uh, reimbursement, uh, requiring providers to be provided, uh, to be reimbursed based on outcomes versus by procedures. I think that's those soft, uh, those um, cost-saving things that we're going to be able to to reap over the next few years as we see um, that that element move into place. So those are things related to ACA, just in a nutshell. There's many more, but that's just kind of a few things that people have heard of. Um, and then the Medicaid expansion opportunity is just something that the, the clock keeps ticking on. Uh, we're losing $4 million a month of, of, in part, our taxpayer money that's got to the feds that could be helping Utahns, but I know that's what we're here to talk about so I'll let uh, that's that's kind of my take on it all and I believe that you have to leave us in about uh, six or seven minutes so I'll, I'll bring this forward for you right now what uh, should Utah do in terms of Medicaid coverage well you know as Einstein once said you know the the sign of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome and you know we have been studying this issue for well over nine months and even longer for some of the advocacy groups the public consulting group that was charged uh, by the uh, State Department of Health to look at this issue came back with a very detailed uh, study that looked at systemic uh, opportunity costs as well as just what the cost might be, um, cost-benefit analysis might be if we were to move forward with the expansion and uh, hands down came down on the side of the, the fact that Utah should move forward with the expansion. Well, at least just said that that would be the least the most beneficial outcome, you know, if we had moved forward with the full expansion and then also reviewed some other options that we could look at. Um, Dr. Sten Wilson, who is with BYU, he's an economist from BYU, was asked to provide counsel to the governor's working group uh, upon which both Senator Weiler and I sat. And he, too, after exploring it from an economist's point of view, said that Utah would not be well situated to walk away from that money. Um, and so we've been studying this very ardently many stakeholders providing both their expertise and countless hours of information about moving forward with the expansion and why this would be in the best interest of Utah. And here we are, you know, a few months later, still unable in, to move. And in the meantime, people aren't getting covered and we're losing, we're losing um, our portion of what should be ours. Senator Weiler, uh, let me address the, the kind of the broad, the, the macro view with you first. Uh, problems, uh, advantages, disadvantages with the Affordable Care Act? You know, there, there are really good arguments for expanding Medicaid, and there are really good arguments against expanding Medicaid. And as a trained lawyer, I could argue either side uh, of, of that case. And I think that's one of the difficulties with this issue. Um, let me start with the arguments in favor of it from my perspective. Number one, we have some gaps in coverage um, that, that don't make any sense. And, and I hope your viewers understand that when um, the Affordable Care Act uh, passed Congress, the 
Medicaid expansion was a mandatory component. So those gaps would not have existed but for the fact that when the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court upheld the constitutionality of the ACA, it also said that there was one portion that was not constitutional, and that was forcing states to expand Medicaid. And now about half the states have said, yes, we'll expand. About half have said, we won't expand. <clears throat> Excuse me. But because of that, um, in the states that don't expand, um, there will be a situation where you could have two male roommates, single male roommates with no kids, one, and they can make within $200 of each other, and one of them will qualify for full Obamacare benefits for 2% of the salary, and the other one will qualify for nothing, not Medicaid, not nothing. And so, so that's what we call the donut hole. So that's one of the good reasons for uh, Utah addressing it. Another good reason is our state is going to send about $680 million dollars in taxes uh, back to Washington, D.C. because of Obamacare. And the only way for us to get a penny of that back into our state is to do a full or partial expansion of Medicaid. So those are two of, to me, as a Republican, two of the most compelling uh, arguments that we need to do something, in addition to the fact that we have a lot of people out there that are suffering and, and, need, and need help. Uh, Representative uh, Chavez Hauk, uh, I wonder that you've said you're in favor of the Medicaid expansion. What's the best mechanism? How to to do that, and and how far to expand? How how much to put into it? Well, I mean, if if, if I were clean for a day, I would have gone with the full expansion quite a while ago, because then we would have had systems in place. People would have been covered beginning January 1st of this year. We've already lost a month and a half of what I believe was ours. Um, so that would have been my optimal choice. But I think that there have been some really creative discussions. Uh, as I mentioned, a lot of people have spent a lot of time looking at various options for the governor's consideration and also for the consideration of my legislative colleagues. And it's somewhat frustrating to me that um, all this time and effort was put into developing these options. Um, they are kind of complex and nuanced, um, but the, our colleagues, for the most part, haven't even had an opportunity to hear these. Um, we've heard them within the context of the Health Systems Reform Task Force and those that are participating in that group, as well as the Governor's Medicaid Working Group. But that is just a limited number of legislators. I think it would be great for my colleagues to be able to hear the three options um, that have been considered, and I believe Rally, you know, addressed a number of those in terms of the premium subsidy model, um, you know, expanding to 100% covering folks using uh, the accountable care organizations uh, for that 100% and below those people that are in dire need, and then for those between 101 and 138% looking at a premium subsidy, um, you know, these are options that we should be exploring and being able to have ardent conversations with our colleagues about, and um, for the most part, we just, we haven't been able to do that. Um, there's those options, you know, as I mentioned, they're nuanced in that there are waivers required for a couple of those options. So, again, the clock will continue to tick while we move forward, ask for those waivers, wait for HHS to respond, and then we have to ramp up. Um, so I guess where I'm at right now is let's just do something. Um, the study has been done. The work has been done. People have put effort into this. And in the meantime, as Senator Ryler mentioned, people are suffering, um, you know, that's that. Let's just get something done. Uh, I know you have to get going, Representative. So we'll we'll let you go here. Uh, appreciate you uh, taking time to be with us. All right. Thank you so much, Representative uh, Rebecca Chavez Hauk, who is a Democrat from uh, Salt Lake City. Uh, we bring in a caller. Uh, we have to get this caller in because I, I think uh, she has to get going as well. Samantha from Washington County. Glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment. Yeah, I wanted to make it. Um, I wanted to bring a point up to both legislatures of a inconsistency in Utah that's uh, embarrassing, I think. Um, I'm an adjunct professor with a number of degrees and work at Dixie State University. I'm allowed to only work three classes in the fall and three classes in the spring semesters. The total amount of money that I can possibly make as an adjunct is $9,600 or $9,750. The fact that we have some of the most professional and highly educated people in Utah, being paid below this $11,000 range is, is appalling. So basically, Dixie State University and a lot of the education wants to treat education as a business model. And basically, you know, people think that people who are making less than $11,000 are, you know, whatever, poor or not working. But here you have everyone at Dixie State University who's an adjunct who can't, uh, can't get any health insurance. 
So I think that there's huge inconsistencies, and the right hand is not talking to the left hand. First of all, adjunct pay should be raised to a standard where people can stay in Utah with their degrees and not have to go hunting, and we should be proud of our adjunct professors and treat them like human beings with real salaries. Secondly, there should, it should be made very clear that these people in the stadium, you know, 75,000 of us or more, are highly educated people who are being treated like low-class citizens in the state of Utah with master's degrees and PhDs. That's my comment. Good. Thank you, Samantha. Appreciate that. Uh, Senator Weiler, I, I don't know if you'd been aware of this particular uh, problem. Yeah, I'm not uh, familiar with uh, the policy that's driving the, the, the limitation on her number of hours. Um, I, I'm just sorry, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not on the education committee, and, and I'm not familiar with that. Uh, but I do know that because of the passage of the ACA, a lot of businesses have been, uh, you know, throughout the country, including Utah, have been cutting and limiting the number of the hours that their employees can work so that they won't qualify for benefits, which I think is one of the many unintended consequences of that legislation. Maybe this would be a good time to, you uh, stated the, the it, case. It's not just, uh, you, you're the two people that I want to speak to, the representatives, because basically, I don't know if you realize that it's not that the hours are limited, it's that our pay as an adjunct professor is so low. We make $1,650 per class. I think it's like the second lowest in the whole United States. We're right in that low category. So basically what I'm saying is here's the legislature who wants to develop employment in southern Utah, but anybody who wants to stay in Utah who has a professional degree and work at the university has to be below the poverty line and can't even get health insurance. We fall below this $11,000 range. And what I'm trying to say to you is that there has to be some comprehensive understanding that you can't treat education like a business model and then exclude all these highly educated people from even being able to get the Medicaid coverage or care coverage. I'm not familiar with what that exactly is. So it's not that our, well, I mean, yes, our hours are limited, but, I mean, you need to raise, you know, your professional standards at the universities to at least meet basic, you know, health insurance options. And I don't know if the governor is aware that, like, the right hand is not paying any attention to the left hand. So that's, that's that inconsistency that you would have some of the most educated people in Utah making such low wages. And to me, it's terribly embarrassing. Well, thanks, Samantha. Appreciate, appreciate the comment. And we'll, um, okay, we'll, I'm going to go now. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, so we'll, let, we'll, let me just weigh in. I mean, we have a, a state board of regents. I don't think the, the policy that she's referring to is actually a state law that the state legislature deals with. We have a state board of regents we have obviously the the university that she works for would have their board of directors and you know my understanding of the term adjunct professor and i admit i'm not an expert but it's usually someone that has a separate career they're coming and teaching a few classes on the side i don't know that the adjunct professor uh, policies and salary is supposed to be supporting someone full-time and as their only exclusive source of income unless they're retired or something like that. I have several friends who are lawyers that are adjunct professors at BYU Law School, so they have a full-time practice and they go down and teach one class a week. So, um, you know, I, I'm not sure how else to address that because I'm just not up to speed on her issue. And uh, perhaps Board of Regents would be a, a place that she could go to to, to address this, so, yeah. Um, I wonder, do you favor any one of these plans uh, for Medicaid expansion? You know, I'm convinced. First of all, we we have to deal with the, the realities of uh, Medicaid expansion. We also have to deal with the political realities of what what, what the Utah Legislature uh, will support in an election year. And I think that the only plan that has an option, a chance of passing, I think it's still. Uh, a small chance is uh, filling those gaps that we, those donut holes we talked about earlier, up to 100% of the federal poverty level, which is a sliding scale depending on the dynamics of your family. And then also funding, uh, some type of funding mechanism where uh, we would do premium assistance. So we would take money from the federal government and we would help people buy health insurance um, policies on the private market, which would have le- the effect of having less uninsured people, less people going to emergency rooms without insurance, which is driving up the health care costs for all of us. I think that that's the only partial expansion, and that would require a, a waiver from 
CMS or from the Department of Health, the federal government, um, which I, I think is kind of based on the Arkansas model, something that Arkansas did. But, you know, I, as, as much as I hear Rebecca Chavez Houck's that representative's frustration, you know, it, it, the full legislature would never, will never in Utah right now will never jump into Obamacare full expansion with both feet. It just won't happen. Uh, that, that will die and we'll have nothing. So I think we, we have to look and see what is, what is politically palatable uh, with the legislature we have right now. And, and, and that's what I just described. I think that's the only plan that would have a chance of passing the House and the Senate this year. And, and do you think, uh, do you give it good odds that that, that particular plan would pass? Well, it's been interesting because I thought that we would pass something, and then Speaker Lockhart, you know, used her opening remarks on on the you know Monday two weeks ago today to basically you know uh, criticize <clears throat> Governor Herbert for suggesting that maybe we should look at partial expansion. So then I thought maybe it was dead at least in the House because it has to pass both bodies, and then you know it seems like it's it's not going away. So I, I'm honestly and sincerely not sure what's going to happen. I, I hope something happens. I expect there will be some movement. Um, and, and quite frankly, I, as, as Rebecca Chavez Hawk mentioned, she and I were part of the governor's uh, task force that worked all summer on this. These are complicated issues. The, most legislators that haven't been on a task force, they're looking at 1,200 bills. They're looking at their own committee assignments. They're looking at their own bills. And it takes some time to understand these very complicated issues. And my concern is, uh, is the average uh, legislators not going to take the time to dig in deep and understand these issues. And there's a lot of, you know, emails that we get from people that say, you know, I hate Obama, therefore I hate Obamacare. Medicaid expansion is part of Obamacare, therefore it's bad and vote against it. I mean, that that's that's kind of the logic uh, as far as the logic goes in, in a lot of the emails and a lot of the feedback that we get up here. Um, and, and I think that there are more complicated issues uh, than, than that. Than that addresses, and I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll all be paying attention to this as it as it moves through the legislature. Uh, we are out of time. Uh, Senator Todd Weiler is a Republican from uh, Woods Cross. Thanks so much for taking time to be with us. Thank you. Thank you. And we thank uh, Representative Rebecca Chavez Hauk, who uh, had to to leave earlier in the program. Uh, Jason Stevenson and Riley Curtis from the Utah Health Policy Project. For uh, producers uh, Katie Swain and Bennett Purser, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks so much for listening today. Support for legislative programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and your local office of AARP Utah, a nonpartisan organization helping people 50 and over improve their lives through its advocacy for health care reform, social security, and consumer protection in Utah. Information is at aarp.org ut. Commentator Richard Ratliff. We humans often do not understand each other very well. I heard a retired industrial worker recently lament, my boss never understood me or any of his employees, and I never understood anything he did. I heard two radio news commentators recently discussing the tragedies of politics, diplomacy, and warfare continuing to unfold in the Middle East due to a lack of understanding. It isn't surprising. People are complicated, fickle, and unpredictable. But because we live and work together, we must try to deal with it. Individual people constitute great bundles of intellectual, emotional, behavioral, spiritual, and physical phenomena, internal contradictions and anomalies. Social scientists tell us that societies exhibit similar complexities. It is all very complicated and difficult to understand. Interestingly, Human life, as we understand it, includes a lot of relationships with family, friends, neighbors, colleagues, and many others. These relationships are with individual people, organizations, and society more generally. Notice the constant, relationships. Perhaps if I can understand one, I can understand a great deal about them all, despite the complexities of individual people. Any relationship can be evaluated very simply by testing two vital signs, mutual benefit and mutual pleasantness. Let me repeat. If both parties are benefited by the relationship, and if both parties are enjoying it, then the relationship will be healthy. How much simpler can it get? If either person is being harmed or threatened, 
or if the association is unpleasant for either person, then the relationship will be weakened. The greater the harm and displeasure, the unhealthier the relationship will be. Healthy and unhealthy relationships have mental, behavioral, economic, and social consequences. Healthy relationships are more beneficial and less costly to everyone concerned. Unhealthy relationships are harmful and expensive every time. The unhealthier they are, the more harmful and expensive they become. I heard a news report this week of the terrible consequences of government corruption, even for the corruptors, even when they think they're successful. I read another recent report in an international journal showing the remarkable economic and social benefits in Scandinavia of government strategy based upon relationship building. Here's the catch. Many of us are taught several cultural values that systematically promote unhealthy relationships. Physical superiority, mental superiority, wealth, honors, authority, fame. What's wrong with these things? Surely, physical and psychological prowess, prosperity, recognition, position, and popularity are good things. They give us power. But with unsympathetic intentions, that is where the problem lies. Their problem in relationships comes with comparisons, pride and superiority, and fear of inferiority. The powerful, by whatever measure, often harm or threaten the weak. Too often, the strong benefit at the expense of the weak and take pleasure in it. But it is neither beneficial nor enjoyable for anyone else. Thus, the occurrence of far too many unhealthy, harmful, and expensive relationships. This works against us, all of us the powerful, and the weak alike, because of the painfully high social and economic cost of bad relationships. So if not physical, mental, organizational, economic, and social power, then what should we seek? How about mutual benefit and mutual pleasantness? Consider the relationships. This is Richard Ratliff. Thanks for listening. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 89.5 Logan, KUSK HD1 88.5 Vernal, KUSL HD1 89.3 Richfield, KUST HD1 88.7 Moab, and KUSU FM HD1 91.5 Logan. This is Lloyd Berenson, Director of the Bear River Health Department. When your car's check engine light is on, it means that something related to your car's emission system is not working right. This can be anything from a loose gas cap to a malfunctioning oxygen sensor. If your light comes on, it is important to get the problem fixed. Paying attention to your car's check engine light is important not only to re-register your vehicle, but also for car maintenance. A car with its systems properly maintained will run better, last longer, and pollute less. So the next time your check engine light comes on, get your car checked out. It is better for you and your car. The Bear River Health Department provided this content in response to Utah Public Radio listener questions about air pollution and health for our community engagement reporting project. To join our public insight network and have a say in what we report, go to upr.org and click on Become a Source.